Good morning, all. Thank you for being flexible to uh, not having our services uh, out in the uh, park that we had planned. We uh, got together, the ministers, yesterday and thought, well, should we uh, go out? It may not be raining, but everything will be wet. Uh, and we thought, you know, uh, let's not have a miserable day out in the park. Let's have a great day inside. So, <laughs> so here we are, and it is always great to have everybody together. So that's uh, a lot of fun. Uh, be turning in your Bibles to the book of uh, Mark and we'll, uh, Matthew, rather, uh, chapter four. We'll start there in a few minutes. This uh, last Friday was uh, Chris and I's thirty-seventh wedding anniversary. <laughs> Thirty. 37 years, that's a, that's a good number. I'll give you one story from our wedding, uh, not uh, to bother you with much, but uh, we, uh, we left our reception, and uh, uh, we were so busy at the reception saying hi to everybody and visiting that we didn't eat anything, and one of the uh, bridesmaids uh, wrapped up a piece of cake and uh, gave it to Chris and said, take this with you, uh, might come in handy later. And uh, Chris thought that was sort of silly, but did it anyway because she didn't want to embarrass the girl. And uh, we got to the uh, parking garage of the hotel where we were going to spend the night, and Chris took the piece of uh, cake that was uh, wrapped in a, a napkin and set it up on the ledge uh, right there in front of where we parked our car. We went into the hotel, and uh, like I said, we were hungry, and we uh, looked at the uh, room service menu and said, <laughs> we can't afford anything on here. <laughs> so we didn't need anything, and uh, the next morning when we got up to leave the uh, hotel, uh, we went out to get our car, and there was the piece of cake sitting right on the ledge where we left it, and uh, we brought it into the car and uh, had a piece of cake. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, those were the days, my friend. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay. Matthew chapter 4, in verse 18, as Jesus was walking by the sea of, sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. That's the call. Come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Title of the sermon is, the art of getting caught and staying caught. Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going, to, I'm going to prepare you to have an influence on people around you. Instead of fishing for fish, you're going to fish for men. Instead of being interested in fish, you're going to be interested in people and whether you can influence them in, in, a, in a good way. I think it's important for us to understand what else went on with Jesus. In, in chapter uh, 4 there, verse 17, just before what we read, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Now, if someone tells you to repent, what are they telling you to do? Change. You need to change. Now, I don't know how you like that. If someone tells you, hey, you need to change. I don't know if that warms your heart. Or maybe it, it, it cools you down a little bit. 
know, Jesus has some pretty phenomenal abilities. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus could perform miracles. He could place his hands on people that had all kinds of problems, and all of a sudden their problems were gone, their physical problems. They were lame, and now they could walk. They couldn't speak, and now they can't. They couldn't hear, and now they can hear what's going on. Jesus could radically change people's lives. You would imagine that everybody Jesus talked to would have been, whoa, Jesus wants me to repent. I'm going to repent. But that's not what happened, was it? If you have any knowledge of the Bible at all, and of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' life, you know that Jesus had an impact on a lot of people, and a lot of people responded favorably to him. But a lot of people did not. As a matter of fact, at the end of the day, they executed him. So they not only didn't respond to the idea, if you need to repent, they were offended by it to the point where they eventually took his life. Look over to John chapter 6. Hope you have your Bibles with you today. You're going to need it. We're going to look at a number of different scriptures. Jesus has been speaking here, and in verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, So who, who, who are we talking about here? His disciples. These are people that have already made a decision to follow him, right? On hearing what he was saying, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one uh, uh, can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Look at this, verse 66. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. These were people that had previously made a decision to follow Jesus. And now, based on what Jesus is saying to them now, they're saying, I'm not quite sure. As a matter of fact, it says they no longer followed him. They went from being not sure to being sure. I'm sure I don't want to follow you anymore. I want us to look at a number of different passages here of people who responded positively and people who responded negatively to Jesus. It wasn't all positive. It wasn't all negative. But I'll tell you this. In Jesus' time and in our time, if you call people to repent, you're going to have a variety of responses. Have you ever thought with someone that you were talking to, you know, this person is a person that is open to becoming a Christian. And you share your faith with them and you realize, whoa, I was really wrong. They're not open at all. Have you ever met someone that you thought, that's the last person in the room that would be open to becoming a Christian? And then lo and behold, what happens? 
that person becomes a Christian. And you're like, well, how, how did that happen? We're going to look at these reactions to Jesus, positive and negative. Look over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9 and verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. So he was the tax collector. He was collecting taxes of the local people there for the, for the Roman Empire. And you can imagine, he was probably not very well liked. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having a dinner at Matthew's house, so apparently... He said, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew said, well, come over to my house. So they went over to the house. There were many tax collectors and sinners who ate with him and his disciples. Well, Matthew apparently had his friends over. And who were his friends? Tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is now in the room with tax collectors and sinners, and Matthew have invited everybody it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. They didn't ask Jesus, they asked his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So Jesus shares his faith with Matthew, and what's the reaction? Totally open, totally wants to go. Okay, well, let's uh, look over to Acts chapter 24. Let's look at another reaction. Acts 24, 24. This isn't Jesus speaking, but the Apostle Paul later, as uh, they're spreading Christianity around the world. And uh, it says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Three-point sermon right there. You appreciate that. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid. He was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Now, it's interesting. Do you think it was convenient for Matthew to invite all his tax collector buddies over to the house and have a, a lunch with Jesus? No, as a matter of fact, I'll bet he took a lot of grief for that. Do you realize that it is never convenient to repent? <laughs> Sometimes we think, you know, this is just not a good time. A, a little bit later, next day, next week, next month, next year. Somewhere down the road, it's going to be convenient. Let me tell you, if you're in the room today and you're waiting for a convenient time to repent, let me just take it out of the realm of, of, of you thinking about it. It's never going to happen. It's never convenient. Was it Jesus? Was it convenient for Jesus to go to the cross? Huh, when's the convenient time to be executed on the cross? No, 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 there's not a convenient time to do what needs to happen. Look back to Mark 1, when Jesus calls the first uh, disciples here, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. 
It says, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. They said, hey, I'm going. Was it convenient? Probably not convenient. Look a little further on in Mark 10. Mark 10, verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, he ran up to him, uh, and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Wow. Great guy, right? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus calls on this guy to repent, and it stuns him. And he walks away. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I need to do to go to heaven? Jesus said, you need to obey the law. He says, I've done it since I was a kid. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and really looked at him and said, you know, I, I, I get that. You're a religious person. You, you, you know the scriptures. You've sort of tried to live by the scriptures, sort of, but not really. Maybe, I don't know. You're a good guy. But here's the bottom line. Your money, your, the money is way more important to you than anything else. If you want to get your life right with God, you've got to get that money in, in the right priority. And he went away sad. Anytime people are called to repent, you're going to have a variety of different reactions. Just let me say this. We're going through a time of revival right now in the church. And we're calling us, we're all calling each other to repent. There's going to be a variety of reaction just like there was to Jesus, just like there was in the New Testament when, when they went out and preached the word. Everybody didn't say, hip, hip, hooray, awesome. Some people did. But some people said, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. You can't let that affect you. You can't let that shake you. Just because somebody responds poorly doesn't mean that you need to think, oh, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't have called anybody to repent. I mean, maybe we should never call anybody to repent. Maybe we should just say, hey, we're a church here. We're not sure what we believe. Come and join us and you can be as confused as we are. But that's not really repentance, is it? You're not really calling anybody to repent when you're just saying, hey, please come, please come, please come, please come. Christianity is not a convenient religion. It's not a convenient religion when you become a Christian. It's not a convenient religion when you stay a Christian. If we took a, a poll of the people today who got up and gave at least a momentary thought to, I'm not sure I'm going to go to church today, it might be a pretty high percentage. 
But you didn't. You say, you know, I made a commitment to God. I made a commitment to my life. And I'm going to live out the commitment that I, I, I committed myself to. If you're looking for convenient Christianity, just let me help you. This is not the church for you. We're not trying to make it convenient. I appreciate Chris getting up here and challenging everybody on giving. He's not one of the ministers, by the way. You know, sometimes as a minister, you feel a little awkward doing that. You know, you're like, well, I don't know if I should, you know, hit people hard about giving because I'm one of the ministers. Well, he's not one of the ministers, so he can say what he wants. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You see, how to get caught is a really interesting thing. Why did the rich young ruler not get caught? And Matthew, the tax collector, got caught. What's the difference? There's, there must be a big difference between Matthew and, and the rich young ruler. Felix said, that's enough for now. When I find it convenient, I'll talk to you. He wanted to continue to talk about it. He just didn't want to do anything about it. Christianity is not a talking religion. It's a doing religion. Somewhere down the road, you've got to do something. Not just talk about it, if you, if, if you understand what I'm saying. You want to look at a couple more? Look over to Acts 8. Acts 8. Got a really important guy here. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. It's a pretty sharp guy right here. What, what's he do for a living? He's in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. That's a pretty important guy right there. And they go along, and they're re he's reading the scripture, and, and Philip shares with him. And come along, in verse 34, it says, And the, uh, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We don't know what he said, but we know it all fits under the category of the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. Both, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. This guy is totally fired up about what's going to go on in his life. Look over to Acts chapter 26. So the eunuch is filled with joy and going on his way rejoicing. In Acts 26 and verse 19, Paul here sharing with King Agrippa, he says, So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. If you are an underliner, that's an underlinable passage. <laughs> they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to, that very, to this very day so that I can stand here and testify to small and great alike. 
I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and first be, uh, and be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, and I think maybe chuckling, <laughs> do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long. I pray that God, that not only you, but all who listen to me today, they become what I am. Except for the chains. See, you have, you have stories in the book of Acts and the gospel accounts of people responding to the call of repentance and saying, absolutely, I'm ready to go, I'm good to go. You have other people that are wanting it to be convenient. You want some people that a short time, you know, later, inconvenient, not now. You've got all kinds of different reactions to the call to repentance. What does it take to get caught? Anyway, at the end of the day, no one is ever going to get caught. Jesus said, I want you to be a fisher of men. I want you to go out and, and fish. What does it take to get caught? It takes a heart that is willing to be convicted. A heart that's willing to be convicted. There's nobody that has ever become a Christian that can identify the time in their story of their conversion where the story of Jesus, the understanding of their current moral condition, it hits you in your heart, and you feel as if you can't even sit down or get up. Oh! You see, the person who's going to be caught by Jesus, the person who's going to be a fisher of men that will be brought into the kingdom of God is someone who is willing to be convicted. Many of us can remember a time in our life when we thought about being convicted, but we said, no, I'm not going to do it. And you made the decision. I made that decision. I'm not going to listen. We're like the little kid in the corner going, no, 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 no. While the sermon's going on, you get the songbook out. You're thumbing through the songbook. You're doing anything you can to not pay attention. Because you don't want to be convicted. And you don't want to have to make a decision. And so you dull your mind, you dull your soul, you dull your heart, and you put it off and you get out. You walk out of the church service and you're like, whoa, glad to be out of there. Because you, you, there was a battle going on for your soul. 
How do you get caught? You've got to make a decision to humble yourself. You've got to make a decision in your own heart. I want to do what's right. I'm not looking for convenience. I'm not looking for a better time. I'm looking for the time now where I need to get my life right. I need to start living my life right now. So second part is, how do you get caught? You have to humble your heart. How do you stay caught? Because anybody who's ever gone fishing knows you can catch a fish, but, you know, the fish can get off the hook. That ever happened to any of you when you went fishing? You were sure you had one. I got one! <laughs> and you get, you get your hook to the, uh, to the boat, and you're like, there's nothing on there. Now, either you lied about it, and you were bored, and you just wanted to tell yourself you thought you had one. That, that, that could be going on. Or maybe you did have one, and you actually lost one. I remember one time when I was fishing as a kid, I was so bored and freezing cold and, and, and out in the boat that, that and I wasn't getting any bites at all. I just said, I got one, and I started reeling it in, and, and I, I reeled it in, and I, I actually caught a fish. But it wasn't hooked in the mouth. It was hooked outside, you know. The, the hook was coming by so fast, it hit the fish. And my, my dad looked at that and said, how'd you do that, son? I said, I don't know. <laughs> that was on the Rock River a long time ago. How, but how do you stay hooked? How do, you, how do you stay in this condition but where you need to be? Look over to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You guys with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see who we're talking about here because we're actually going to end up in 2 Corinthians 7. But we've got to go to 1 Corinthians 3 to understand the context of 2 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, you guys there? It said, brothers... I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Wow, that's nice, right? Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, and you are not world, are you not worldly? And are you not acting like mere men? When one of you says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos. And, and, and are you not mere men? So this is what he says in this letter to the church, at, at, at the brothers and sisters, the Christians, the disciples at Corinth. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. So he's saying, you, you guys are worldly because of the way you're living your life. Okay, now look over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Look at this. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. Now look at the end of chapter 7. Verse 16, I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. 
Now, this is the people, he says, I can't even address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Now he's saying to them, I have complete confidence in you. How do you feel when someone says, I have confidence in you? I trust you. Now, how does that make you feel? Makes you feel great, doesn't it? Hey, someone trusts me, someone important. They trust me, they value me. They, they think I'm worthy of that trust. He starts off chapter 7 with that thought. I'm proud of you. I have total confidence in you. He ends it with, I have total confidence in you. Now look at what he says in the middle. Verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter. What letter? 1 Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians. This is deep Bible study here, guys. You've, you've got to be able to read Greek and, and know Hebrew to understand this. His letter that he wrote to them is what he's referring to. He said, even if it caused you sorrow, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. See, the problem with some of you guys is you think the only thing God intends for you is to make you happy, 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 happy. God's will for my life is I'm happy, 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 happy. I'm happy all the time. That's what God wants for me. That isn't what Paul says. He says, for you became sorrowful as God intended. Now, this is a total side note. But parents, it's not always your job to make your kids happy. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, they need to be quite unhappy because of what you decided to do or say. Look at verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Now, isn't it interesting? When Jesus started preaching, what did he preach? Repent. See, in point number one here, we're looking at how did people react to the idea of repenting? What we're looking at here is also about repenting. But these are already disciples. These are already people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. But we're still talking about repentance. You might get the impression, I wrote down here on my notes, that repentance is a lifelong fight. Repentance is not something you do once and you say, yeah, I remember back in the 80s, I repented. <laughs> and let me tell you the story. Man, I repented, and I repented good. As, as if it's something you did. Now, you know, I got married in the 80s. And I, I don't have to get married again. But you know what, if, anyone, if, if any of you know anything about marriage, if you're going to be married for, 
for, for, for 37 years, you better learn to adapt and innovate and, 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 uh, and overcome. You better realize I made a decision and now I've got to adapt it to the current circumstances. If you understand what I'm saying. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, there's going to be seven things here. This is a checklist for you. This, this, is, this is a ch checklist. It's, it's just write them down. There's seven of them. Here they are. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation. What alarm. What longing. What concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote you, it was not on the account of the one who did the wrong or the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see that you yourself now are devoted, uh, how devoted to us you are, but all this we are encouraged. Let's go down through those seven things. What does it mean to be earnest? It means to be sincere. Not sarcastic. You're sincere. You mean it. You're deadly serious about it. I'm not kidding. You know, some things in life you just kid around about. It's not that big a deal. Eh, just kid around about it. Not a big deal. There's other things in life you don't kid around about. It's not a laughing matter. It's not a kidding matter. Your, your life in the Lord is not a kidding matter. It's a deadly serious thing. And so you have earnestness. You're sincere. Eagerness. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Eager. You're ready to go. Hey, let's go. Indignation. Indignation at who? You say, oh, I'm indignated uh, at a lot of people. <laughs> well, that's your problem. You need to quit being in indignant at other people and turn your indignation on yourself. This is where you're saying to yourself, you're, it's, a, it's a conversation with you. It's Marty talking to Marty, you idiot. You can do better than this. Come on. You ever have that conversation with you? Some of you haven't. You need to try. You're waiting for someone else to get angry at you. You need to get angry at yourself. You'd be surprised what you could accomplish if you get mad at yourself. You say, well, I need a life coach. Why don't you be your own life coach and kick your own butt around a little bit? Indignation. Alarm. Whoa. Alarm is, I can't believe I'm that far off. You ever have that feeling in Christian life? You realize, how, how, how long has it been that I had a full week of having a quiet time every day? You know, we talk about some pretty sissy-fied things around here sometimes. You need to have someone in your life as if that's asking a real burden on, on you. What a burden that you have to have a friend that likes you. 
and that you like. Golly, and sometimes you just got to be alarmed. You got to realize, hey, things are maybe a little worse than me than I want to admit. You know, way back in my life, I don't know even know what it was, about 1986 or so, I went to the doctor. My, my blood pressure was elevated. The doctor asked me, he said, are you in a high-stress job? I said, well, I'm in the ministry. He said, that's a high-stress job. <laughs> he, he had no idea. He said, you need to start running. And, and you know, I had run uh, training with, with wrestling and, and, and all that, ran cross-country my senior year in high school. I don't I, I run, I can run, I can run, yeah, no big deal. I went out and ran. I ran around the block, and I was exhausted. I was alarmed. I was like, whoa, dude. You've been living in the glory land of the you, You're not even near in shape. Now you out of shape. You're fat, Marty. What's wrong with you? That's, see, there we go. You've got to go into that you know, indignation thing. You know what? It really wasn't that long, and I was running along, a long ways. Run a mile, two miles, three miles, you know? Run a 10K, you know, 6.2. I thought that was the hottest thing in the world. Ran the Wheaton, cream of wheat, wheat, Wheaton, uh, 10K. Remember that? Ben, this little dude out there, he thought it was the coolest thing in the world that his dad was running a 10K. I did too. I have no idea how I finished, but I finished. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, guys, it's, it's, it's alarm. It's like, wow, I'm, 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 I'm further off. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? When's the last time you invited someone to church? When's the last time you corrected somebody? When's the last time someone corrected you? When's the last time you responded well when someone corrected you? You know, sometimes you got to get alarmed. you got to realize, I, I'm a little further off the road here than I thought I was. That, that's part of staying hooked. What alarm, what longing. You know, we know what longing is. Man, I, I said, you want to get there. You long for that. What concern, very similar to alarm. Uh, what readiness to see justice done. I'm ready. Okay, I need to go get some running shoes. Come on, dude. I'm ready to get it done. You see, how to get caught is to have a humble heart. How to stay caught is to have a humble heart. It's not a guarantee when someone becomes a Christian that they stay a Christian. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about it very clearly in a number of different passages that people were, were Christians and then they weren't. They left. They, they fell back into the world. They went back to where they came. They went back to the moral life they were living before they committed to live the moral life of a child of God. How to get caught is to have a humble heart. How do you have a humble heart? You decide to have one. How to stay caught is to have a humble heart. How do you decide to have a humble heart? You just decide, you know, who I want to be is I want to be someone that has a humble heart. Let's finish up our study today over in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. I love Hebrews 10. This is good stuff. Verse 35, so don't throw away your confidence. 
how would you want to throw away your confidence? You want to be confident, right? I want to be confident. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Persevere is an interesting concept. I like to describe perseverance as this. People say, I want to work on my perseverance. Okay, good. Then get tired. You can't work on perseverance until you're tired. You say, I, 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 I want to be a perseverant person. Then get tired. Then you can work on perseverance. Because perseverance is what you do after you're tired. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, at least the possibility seems to be there, if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Let me help you understand what he's saying here. You don't have to be the star on the team. You don't have to be the best player on the field. But you can't not stick your nose in there. A real Christian? true Christian is the one who's in the battle. And they may not even be all that good at it. You know, people say, well, I want to be a good Christian. I'll be happy with faithful. I don't know how good you are as a Christian. But the issue is not how good you are at it. The issue is, are you still sticking your nose in there? Are you still in the game? Because if you shrink back, God's not going to be pleased with you. You've got to stick your nose in, guys. And I love verse 39. Man, if you don't love verse 39, you don't love anything. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. That's good stuff right there. I got that underlined in green, just so you know. <laughs> Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. How do you get hooked? You be humble. You respond to repentance. How do you stay hooked? You be humble. You respond to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, you got what the scripture says and you got what I brought for you to have today. What you're going to do with it is your business. It's not my business. What I'm going to do with it is my business and not your business. But I pray to God today that you'll be serious-minded about these scriptures and the concepts that we've studied today. You need to be humble. You need to stay humble to be the kind of man, to be the kind of woman that God wants you to be. Let's have an outstanding week this week. Let's give God the glory in our lives. Let's live for God. You are dismissed.